Welcome to Voices of ASEAN, a platform built for you where we connect shakers and movers of this region to one another. Business, lifestyle, people, perspectives, news, and the soul of the people from all over Southeast Asia. My name is Beatrice and welcome to another episode of Voices of ASEAN. Today, we are excited to introduce a new addition to our esteemed panel of adjudicators for the upcoming International Business Review ASEAN Awards 2022, Dr. Brian Shager, President of the United Arab Emirates Singapore Business Council. This is not the first time Dr. Shager has been on our show. The last time he appeared as a speaker for the Global Business Forum ASEAN. Dr. Shager has over 40 years of experience in international banking. He established and has led the operations of Midland Bank, NetBank, and one of the Middle East's largest banks, Emirates NBD, in various locations across the Asia-Pacific. He then founded the Middle East Asia, I think ME Asia Consultancy, sorry, a firm that helps companies in Singapore and the Asia-Pacific expand their business to the Middle East. Dr. Shager also sits in the advisory boards of the Bayes Business School and the Journal of Gulf Economics. Speaking on his role as a member of the International Business Review ASEAN Awards and the importance of platforms connecting businesses, here is Dr. Brian Shager. Hello, Dr. Brian. Hi, good afternoon, Beatrice. So nice to see you again. So happy to have you back with us and you are looking stunning. I love your tie. You're very kind. You are looking even more stunning, my dear. Oh, thank you, Dr. Brian. So, Dr. Brian, you've done a lot of work in Southeast Asia, the Asia-Pacific, South Asia and the Middle East, and in facilitating business development opportunities between these regions. Now, Dr. Dr. Shager, just give us the honour by telling us about your journey and what were the biggest highlights of your career. Now, Beatrice, you know, to answer this question, I'll probably require a few hours because <laughs> you're really asking me the story of my life. Yes, I am. I would love to sort of... A, a few chapters from the story of your life, Dr. Brian. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and do my best and I'll try and compress it as much as I can. Okay. Refer to some of the more salient aspects. If I may start from the beginning. Sure. You know, as we all do. If I, if I can sort of tell you about my background and stuff from the beginning. Yes, yes. When I was a student, um, you know, I'm a Singaporean, I'm a sixth generation Singaporean. And, and uh, my ambition was to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, preparing for my A-levels, biology and chemistry and physics and so on and so forth. I was a science student, but I got distracted. I was also a youth leader. And uh, at my, in my, early, my late teens, when I was in uh, uh, university in those days. And therefore, I didn't qualify for the medical school in Singapore. I was very disappointed myself. So I must tell you, my exposure in terms of being a youth leader, when I look back, was tremendous in terms of what I learned, organizing and mission and so on and so forth. And so then I was disappointed myself. After national service, I decided that maybe I should leave Singapore all the distractions and go abroad to study. And then the question was, what should I do? I always wanted to be a doctor. My, my whole passion was You look like one Dr. Shager, and you I, are a doctor I, now. I think I would have been a good doctor, honestly, but as I told you in my, you know, folly of my youth, I lost my concentration on my studies from my pre-U and couldn't qualify. And then I thought, let me look at an alternative. And in those days, Beatrice, in the late 60s, mm -hmm. Singapore became independent from Malaysia in 65, you remember? Yeah, yeah. And Singapore was looking at what it can do to create a niche position for itself mm -hmm. in ASEAN and mm -hmm. in the region. And they decided it would be one of the areas of niche positioning would be international banking and finance. Mm, for obvious reasons, because always been good in trade and banking and finance, but they wanted to really make it an international financial center, right? Yes. So there was already a burst on this, on this sort of sector, so to speak, in the late, uh, you would say, they started late 60s. Late, yeah. Policy started late 60s. And I sort of finished my national service, I was, I was 1975, 
And then I realized maybe this is what I should do. And coincidentally, all these things happen sometimes, Beatrice, purely coincidentally. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the university called the City University of London, which is named after the City of London. Yeah. And just for, for those who do not know, the City of London is an autonomous corporation where all the banks in the world are located. In yeah. Bank of it is the financial heart of international banking and finance. It's run by the Lord Mayor of the City of London. It is tremendous tradition, and it is the number one financial center. It is uh, sort of, you would say, the East. You know, you have Central London, is sort of East Central London, where you have Great Needle Street, and mm -hmm. Street, and so on, so on, so forth, this very famous area for banks. What's mm. going on, basically? Yeah. The university that I that, that that I looked at, named of the City of London, and they started a degree in banking and international finance. BSc honors in banking and international finance. So I thought, hey, let me try and do that. Because the future, I think, in Singapore, in banking and international finance will be very lucrative. And so I was in the first batch of this of this degree in BSc honors in banking. Excellent. The Center for Banking International Finance at the City University of London. And, uh, you know, I did quite well. I missed the top prize by one mark. And then I did a master's in finance and did a stint in London, in the city of London. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being Asian, being the oldest, my father was retiring and I was summoned back to Singapore. So I came back to Singapore. And then I started my career in the very buoyant sector of international and offshore banking in Singapore in, in, uh, in actually March. And very lucrative, if I may add. Sorry? And very lucrative. Well, yes, because you see, the area of banking is very segmented. Yeah. Banking that most people know is what is known as high street domestic banking. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. But there is another area of banking which is different, which is international banking or wholesale banking and investment banking or merchant banking. Mm -hmm. And in, in these areas, obviously the skill sets are different. Yeah. And there are uh, more skills, you could say, for example, than being a high street banker in a branch. Mm. And and therefore you're, you're, you're paid more, but the, the top is highly demanding. There's no security, it's very volatile. Yeah. And there's been uh, volatility in the market, right? You're paid for a high pressure job, mm. where there is no like build stability in terms of a long-term career. So you've got to perform every time, to yeah. sustain yourself in that career. And that, that, that's how I started in the banking industry. I, 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 I worked for the Midland Bank Group, one of the biggest banks in the world. Mm -hmm. And in 1985, uh, I had this unique opportunity of being the first third country expatriate in, in Midland Bank. Normally, when they set up a new office mm -hmm. uh, in a country, they would send somebody from head office. Those days, always a Caucasian. Mm. And, and so they said, no, Brian, you are covering Indonesia from Singapore, you are you speak Indonesian, you're probably more qualified. And, and I was the first country expatriate from, expatriate from Midland Bank. Mm. I went to Indonesia, set up the operations there, and then I came back to Singapore, took over the Southeast Asian operations of Midland. Mm. I was, was seconded to Australia for a while. And then from there, I was headhunted by a the largest South African bank, which is mm. part of Old Mutual PLC, a huge UK listed financial services group. This bank was called NetBank, and I set up their branch in Singapore, looking mm. after Southeast Asia and South Asia. Mm. And after a stint of doing that, I went to I thought I thought I'll be entrepreneurial and set up a hedge fund. Mm. And I realized. You know, think banking is difficult. Wait till you run a hedge fund. It's, 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 it's a killer. And after a year, I said, I better go back to banking. That's what I found out. What was the biggest challenge when you set up the hedge fund on your own? Oh, it was so tough. I tell you why. Because we were the you know we were following the classic hedge fund model. Yeah. The Alfred Jones model. Okay. Equity markets. It's called long short equity markets. Okay. Long short strategies where you know you look at a, the equity market and you look at those companies that will outperform the market you do a lot yeah. of analysis yeah. and then those are going to outperform you along them mm. and those who are going to underperform you shock them so you can imagine there's so much of analysis to be done so much of work mm -hmm. 
you keep on working mm. and it really you know takes a life out of you <laughs> uh, and and i felt that that was not the life for me i'd rather go back to international finance <laughs> international banking and, and my forte was setting up banks yeah is that and what that made was, your hair white dr brian <laughs> well, you know that is hereditary my dear <laughs> my family the the, the males my father's side uh, white hair rather preferably and in my industry i think white hair maybe is is, is more of an asset yeah i think so <laughs> i agree <laughs> uh, so, so that's when emirates nbd came into the picture because uh, i said to them i was going to go back to banking and my forte is setting up banks and mm. infrared bank so there was no uae bank in southeast asia or asia mm. so i said to them look you guys you are out conspicuously of one of the most dynamic regions in the world. Yeah. In. Yeah. And and so I said, this is my strategy for you. I created my own job in a way. And clever. <laughs> well, this is the only way you forget about all these hate hunters. They are a waste of time usually most of the time. Exactly. So you can go for it and create that role for yourself, which is what I did. And and they said, okay, make it happen. Mm -hmm. So I opened the regional branch of Singapore, mm -hmm. looking after the whole of Asia, and 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 opened a rep office in China and Indonesia mm -hmm. subsequently. Mm. And and this was certainly uh, a very you know in my view in my career uh, a very challenging role because it was a huge geography and uh, very uh, complex types of businesses mm. that I, I set up. Yep. And it also led to my love affair with the Middle East, you know, particularly mm. and, and and as you know, I have been involved in the Middle East, particularly the UE and GCC ever since I I, I started with Emirates NBD, mm. and and uh, until I retired, uh, you know, in 2018, uh, as far as my banking career is concerned, mm. I would say uh, the most it was always very exciting and exhilarating, but uh, the most, I would say, uh, satisfying and fulfilling role was the one I did for Emerson BD, the challenge of the job. And so I would say, if you ask me what I have the highlight of my banking career, I would say, you know, opening Emerson BD and mm. running it in Asia was probably the highlight, though all my other roles were equally exciting and yeah. interesting, but this was the most the most sort of, uh, you know, um, satisfying and yeah. the most gratifying. And if I could say subsequent to that, as an extension of my involvement with the Middle East was a setting up the UAE Singapore Business Council. Mm. And that too is another story, but another mm. sort of sub story here. When I was running Emirates NBD, Singapore signed uh, FTA with the GCC, which was a big event. It is. But the GCC has never signed an FTA with any country in Asia. Mm. And therefore, it was a big event. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs organized a business seminar and asked me to speak on behalf of the business community. And there I said, look, the FTA is wonderful. I congratulate both governments and you know, the governments of the GCC countries and Singapore for signing it. Mm -hmm. But to make it work, you need to get the business to business connectivity in yeah, place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And for that, there are certain mechanisms. And the most common mechanism is to set up a chamber representing the two regions or the two or the two most yes. important countries. In that the networking. The yeah. detail. The focus right. networking, right? Correct, correct. Mm. So so I mean I have a lot of experience in this because I was when I was running Midland, I was with the British uh, Business Association, it became mm. the chamber, the British uh, Chamber of Commerce. And then I set up the South African Singapore Business Association when I was running that bank. Mm. And and so I know the, the blueprint for this sort of thing, you know. Mm. So I, I gave them a paper, i.e. the government of Singapore and the UAE, the ambassador. I said, this is what we need to do. Let's focus on the UAE, which mm. is the most important trading and investment mm. partner of Singapore. Mm. And, and then make that work, i.e. the relationship between UAE and Singapore. And, mm. the, and, and, and the trade flows and investment flows and increase that connectivity. Yeah. So that's what I'm currently, apart from other things that I do, as far as this, as far as the, uh, you know, um, my, my, my sort of business involvement. Your apart. exceptional career path. 
Well, yes. <laughs> if I don't get paid for this job, I'm, I'm elected as the president uh, yeah. every year. I've been president for, for sort of three plus years and going to be four, fourth year very soon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we have a solid group of uh, companies who are in the EXCO, the large mm -hmm. UAE companies, it's like yeah. the large Singapore companies operating in the UAE and other other sort of uh, smaller companies as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that really, if you ask me, that's how I met you, Beatrice, if you remember. <laughs> yes. uh, because I was speaking at a conference in, 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 in Dubai for the ASEAN Global Business Forum. And you, yes. you and we met. Yeah. And, and I was there in my capacity as, of course, the president of the US Singapore Business mm. Council. Mm. And that's when you and I met in Dubai and you interviewed me before as well. And, and that relationship, I'm glad, is, is evolving. Yes. The right yes, I'm so honoured. I am so honoured that we have you as a member of the adjudication panel for the upcoming International Business Review ASEAN Awards 2022. And I can't think of anyone more perfect to be an advisor in this role than you with your connections in Singapore and, and UAE. Um, can you share with us what convinced you to join the panel and how do you see your experiences contributing to your role as adjudicator for the awards? Well, First of all, thank you for inviting me to be part of your education panel. Obviously, I think it's a privilege and an honor to be part of this beautiful thing that you do, which is this IBR ASEAN. Thank you. I think it's an excellent sort of, uh, it's an excellent initiative on your part. And, and I think uh, you have to be applauded for, for doing this. Oh, thank you. And, and okay, let me answer your question in terms of my I, I don't want to be pompous or presumptuous, but if you ask me about my qualifications or relevance in, in sort of being in this panel, I would say it's really my background. Yes. In my career as an international banker and as being CEO of, of banks, three banks, mm. of different uh, geographical specializations in terms of the country of origin and of course always covering Asia yeah. and always covering ASEAN, mm. uh, is exposure. I, I, I have been covering countries in ASEAN all my life yes. since I started my banking career. Yes. Of course, it's not just ASEAN alone, it was Asia and Asia back and South Asia. But ASEAN was always the core, the common denominator was yes. ASEAN. Yes. And as an international banker, Beatrice, you, you are therefore lending to companies in different countries. Mm. And each country, as you can imagine, has its own unique yes. sovereign risk complexion. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and sovereign risk complexion is a function of all kinds of different variables, political, economic, social, financial, and so on and so forth, strong mm. uh, workforce, quality of workforce, law and order, stability. When, when an international banker lends cross-border, this is why international banking is so interesting, mm. the first thing you do is understand the sovereign risk of the country in which your company or the country in which you're lending to yeah. it, it, it comprises. So, you know, as an international lender, you lend to countries yep. as, well as a government agency, as well as companies in different countries, right? Mm. The sovereign risk analysis is standard, so you, you understand that. Yeah. And of course, when you're lending to a company in a particular country, you need to understand the industry in that particular country and the competitive forces. Mm -hmm. It was exported to different countries. Yeah. Different yes. Countries. The whole ecosystem. That's right. The whole ecosystem mm -hmm. beyond the country as well. Yeah. With the international competitive dynamic mm. of that particular company in that particular sector or market. Mm. Understand the management. Yep. The quality of the management, the, the reliability of the management. That's right. The governance structure, the way the company is managed whether it's managed properly, with proper processes and governance, very important. That's so you're right. getting to a company where the management is, let's say, very family-orientated, with very few professionals running the company, mm -hmm. then there are risks. So the risk factors are very important. I mean, you, of course, when you lend to a company, you also do a financial risk analysis. Mm -hmm. The balance sheet, the P&L, the the forecast of profits, because when you're lending yes. long term, mm. you must understand the cash flow of that company mm. to repay the loan obligations over the period of the loan. That means you must be able to forecast 
his revenue forecast, his uh, expenses, his margins, etc. Mm. Sustainability of the business. So therefore, these qualifications, or rather these exposure uh, uh, experiences, um, are very relevant in what yeah. I, I guess I'll be doing for you as an yeah. educator. Now that's one. I must tell you, the the market that you lend to as a banker in the international industry banking industry uh, is offshore and and wholesale. Right? That means yeah. you deal with big ticket items, not like retail, small ticket. So my exposure, my banking career, I must tell you, has been largely large companies you produce that stuff. However, in, over the past few years, when I was head of the business council, mm -hmm. I've been dealing with a lot of SMEs. A lot of SMEs join us, mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they want to do business in the UAE. And of course, they want advice from me and so on and so forth. And also, as you know, I've got a small consultancy company as well called mm -hmm. Asia. And, and so these are largely SMEs. And so I, fortunately, over the past four years, uh, because of UAE Singapore Business Council, my exposure to the SME sector, which I did not have much of when I was a lender, mm. Mm. The, the big banks who are involved in international lending don't do SME business, but they don't do that. And, and um, you know, as a aside, I don't know whether I should mention this, but maybe I should. You see, Singapore and Hong Kong are uh, what do you know, what, what are called the Asia dollar markets. That's all London is known as the Euro market. Now, what is the Asia dollar market? What, what, and what is the Euro dollar market? Basically, these are huge amounts of US dollars that is mm. outside the US. Mm. And the number one market for offshore US dollars is London, right? And mm. the okay. second two markets are really Singapore and Hong Kong. Now, you would ask, why, are there, why is there so much of dollars washing around internationally? The answer is very simple, uh, Victoria. Mm. The dollar is the world's vehicular currency. So international trade is all dollar denominated. Mm. So Malaysia exports something to, let's say, China is mm -hmm. denominated in dollars, not in Malaysia ideas. Mm. And therefore, international trade is dollar based, number one. International financing, when these banks in Singapore, Hong Kong, London do financing, it is always in dollars, mm. most of the time in dollars. The so loans are in dollars, US dollars. Mm -hmm. and dollars, And furthermore, the reserve banks, the central banks of all the countries in the world, look at their reserves, you would find that 75% are dollar denominated. Mm -hmm. But therefore, that's a huge amount of dollars in these in, in the offshore market, London, Singapore, Hong Kong. And those dollars have to be utilized, right? Have to be recycled. Dollar deposits have to be converted to loans and bonds and so on and so forth. So I thought I'd just mention that so people understand what we're talking about when we talk about international finance. It's a very dollar-denominated uh, uh, business. All my career, mm. as 40 years in banking, international finance, I would say 95% of, of the transactions that I've done are all US dollar-based, mm. not Singapore dollar-based or mm. ringgit-based mm. or any other currency, yen base or euro, yeah. it's actually US dollars. Mm. I, hope, I hope that explains yes. a little bit. Yes, it, it did. It did. So I therefore hope that with this experience that I have, I can be of help to you in, in terms of your adjudication process. Yes, it would. That fit the bill. Mm. It would. It would, Dr. Brian. And um, I, I wanted to ask you one more question. In our last interview, you mentioned that it's important to have a platform that connects the business communities and that this was the reason you founded the UAE Singapore Business Council. Now, what would you say, Dr. Brian, are the biggest hurdles that companies from the UAE face in doing business in ASEAN? And how do platforms like the IBR ASEAN Awards help bridge that gap? Okay, now, the, that's an interesting question. Okay, and if I may uh, give you again a bit of a long-winded answer, uh, the the because it's these are all very relevant questions you ask yes. me. And the educational people listening to it, hopefully, I hope people are listening to it. Oh, <laughs> if not now, they would be because he's going to be there forever on the platform. You see, let's look at it. You asked me about the UAE. Yeah. The Middle East 
happiness. Mm. Let's say the UAE happiness. Mm. Because UAE is a very important economy. I, by, by custom, by tradition, are very comfortable in their own name. Like Malaysian companies. With their Malaysian own? With their own? Comfortable in ASEAN. Oh, okay. In, yes, of course. Uh, Thailand. Same thing there, right? The, by and large, generically, the UAE companies are more comfortable in their own back. Their own mm. backyard would be what? GCC. Mm. Yeah. Egypt. Egypt is a huge population. Yes. Egypt is one of the biggest populations. In the world. Yes. Population. So people who want to do consumer-related business like to do this. Market mm. okay, two. So that is point number one. However, in the UAE, there are some huge companies, conglomerates, like you have in Malaysia. Like the Berjaya group and the mm -hmm. YTL group and the Genting group and the Tanjo group and so on and so forth, and Dhabi. You have also in UAE huge conglomerates of very sophisticated. Of course. And I, of course. And I in Singapore. And I in ASEAN. I'll give you some examples. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. DP World. DP World is one of the biggest port operators in the yes. world. Yes. Yes. Who They're, hasn't heard of them? You would have Yes, yes definitely. They operate ports in China, yeah, Malaysia, in UK, and so many other countries. Now that's one. Another would be Adnoc and and Saudi Aramco. Mm. Uh, you know, these are all companies that are all over the world in terms of dealings. Then you have interesting other companies like Lulu Group, which is a huge supermarket operator. They have supermarkets. And hypermarket in Malaysia and Indonesia. Lulu, you mean? Lulu, yeah. Yeah, Lulu. yeah, yeah. Yes. And then Danata. Danata is a major operator of airport ground services. Mm -hmm. They have big operations in Singapore mm -hmm. and other countries too. They are they're owned by Emirates Airlines. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know the Emirates Airlines. Of course. Airlines. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. By everywhere. And then there are some others like Burush. Huge petrochemical company mm -hmm. that are big operations in Singapore, and they they are a joint venture between not and Austrian company, mm. petrochemicals, and then there are others like the banks, MSMBD, that I set up, FAB, mm. they are also all over the place. FAB has a branch in Labuan, but mm. a Singapore uh, regional office, mm. and then we have uh, others like, for example, for example, Ifco, which is a in a global uh, uh, F&B company from the UAE, they have big operations in Malaysia, the palm oil sourcing from Malaysia and Singapore, and 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 a few others. So uh, these which companies are here. Okay. Now, when it comes to the smaller companies mm -hmm. from the UAE, they require more handholding, more scaffolding. Mm. They need more. Application um, of the market risk mm. and the opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And so you will not see a lot of them. You will see a small number. I mean, I mean, we are trying to encourage many of these companies to come to Singapore. But as I said to you, their comfort level is always going to be that region. Yes, yes. Markets are good there, so they don't have the urge to go too far. Yeah. And, and I dare say it's a similar situation to some of the smaller companies in ASEAN as well. Mm. Uh, they would be, they require a lot of handholding yep. and education before they would go to the UAE or elsewhere mm. too far away geographically. So we try our best okay. uh, business council. Um, I, I must tell you another point. Our business council is focused on helping Singapore SMEs yep. go to not not UES and Mr. Come here. Ah, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's not the two-way thing. <laughs> but you know, these hurdles are there, I must tell you. It's it's quite universal. The SME sector, the smaller companies are comfortable because of their lack of knowledge, the limited resources. Mm. They're more comfortable in, in their own market, mm -hmm. surrounding markets geographically. Mm. In the case of ASEAN, within ASEAN. Mm. Even within ASEAN, sometimes 
it's a challenge to get, let's say, a, a, a company in Malaysia or yeah. Ireland or Singapore to go into all the ASEAN countries. That's right. That's right. So, okay. So, in, investments from the GCC into the ASEAN region are estimated at about $13.4 over the last five years. If you could pinpoint major sectors then that would drive ASEAN GCC trade and investments in the future, what would they be, Dr. Brian? Okay, now, if you look at the bedrock mm. the relationship between ASEAN mm-hmm. and, and the UAE or the GCC, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. energy. 40% of ASEAN's energy needs are from the GCC. Okay. Even though Malaysia and Indonesia produce oil and gas, but net, there is still import into Malaysia imported of, 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 of oil and gas. Mm. And so 40% comes from the UAE. So I see that as the bedrock. So the first sector would be oil and gas sector. Mm-hmm. Okay. But within the oil and gas sector, which is what is exciting is there are interesting dimensions to it, which are now going to evolve and make that relationship a lot, lot more holistic and exciting. What okay. are these? Okay. Let's look at, let's look at downstream activity, mm-hmm. right? Downstream meaning refineries, petrochemical mm-hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. For example, in Malaysia, Saudi Aramco, mm-hmm. uh, a refinery uh, and petrochemical operation in Panara, Adnock has signed a big $2 billion MOU with Pertamina mm-hmm. to supply them with uh, sulfur mm-hmm. and, 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 and naphtha. Uh, and they're also looking at building mm-hmm. uh, a crude to petrochemical refinery in Balogan in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuwait Petroleum Corporation, which is a company in Kuwait, they have a 33% stake in one of the biggest refineries, which is in Vietnam. And, and and therefore, what I'm trying to say is these huge oil companies that have been selling their crude and gas to ASEAN are now saying, okay, let's invest downstream in these countries. Mm, and that's yeah. a good sign. Yeah. Because it creates value in these countries. Yeah. Uh, these countries just buying oil and gas. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, you look at the balance. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's good for Malaysia and all these countries because you look at the balance of payments, actually, more is imported into Malaysia and Indonesia and Singapore from, let's say, the GCC, then sold there. Mm. The balance of payments is very much in favor of the GCC because they sell it so right. much more gas. Mm. So, so this investment in downstream is a good thing for these countries. Yep, definitely. So that's one. Mm. The second is this very interesting statistic is that the demand for energy mm-hmm. ASEAN mm. is one of the highest growing in the world. It's second only after Sub-Saharan Africa. So Sub-Saharan Africa is the mm. highest. Second is ASEAN. Wow. Growing middle class, you know, whenever your country is a growing middle class, energy demands go up. Mm. And the middle class is in ASEAN and growing with mm. development. All right. And so therefore, there will be more opportunities for greater you know, sales of oil and refined products from, from the GCC and also naphtha, et cetera, uh, into the ASEAN countries. Uh, at not, for example, is signing a big contract to supply naphtha, which is a feedstock for a petrochemical plant in, uh, in, in a private petrochemical plant in Indonesia. Mm. So that's the second part. Mm-hmm. Now, another important dimension to the oil and gas sector is logistics. Mm. Logistics component in that, that area. And we're seeing that now. For example, in Singapore, which is a major oil logistics center, yeah. Ryzen Terminals, a subsidiary of Enoch, mm-hmm. member, members of the Business Council, yeah. have a huge operation in Jurong Island. Yeah. They have a big tank farm, oil tank farm. Yes. And then we are seeing in Singapore, Singapore companies like PC Engineering, Rotary Engineering, Consort Logistics, Bunkers, they are operating in Fujera, Dubai, and moving yeah. on to Abu Dhabi. So it's two way as well. Mm. So ASEAN countries, like in Malaysia, for example, that are all in gas logistic companies too, mm. they should be looking at doing things in the UAE. Yeah. Because 
to Jera and Dubai and Abu Dhabi, there's a lot of opportunities there. So that's that's the other sector as far as uh, dimension of oil and gas is concerned, right? These yeah. three, I would say these three subcomponents. Now the other area, the second sector, Beatrice, for for opportunities, as you asked me, is the IT sector. Why? Because the UAE, for example, and countries in the GCC as well, but particularly the UAE, very, very keen to promote IT. They have a Minister of Artificial Intelligence. Mm. They've oh, set yes. a road to Mars. I met him, we heard him speak in Dubai, didn't we? So you know, you heard him speak. Yeah, I heard him speak. He was wow. exceptional. Yeah, and, and, that's, and they are so committed in fact, I'm leading a, de a delegation to UAE from Singapore end of this month, and the bulk of them are IT companies. Mm. Med tech, health tech, healthcare, yeah. agricultural tech, artificial intelligence, robotics. Yep. I yep. know a Malaysian company in, in, in drones that manufactures uh, drones is keen on doing things in the UAE. Mm. So there are tremendous opportunities there. They want to do more IT uh, related uh, cross border investments. Mm. Asian company or ASEAN company or Singapore or any ASEAN company that has some unique technology, they should look at the UAE mm. to sell their product. Also, potentially mm. when they get investors, it is something mm. really special. So they are prepared to invest and support new startup mm. uh, companies who have unique, uh, you know, IT-related product. This could be things like data analytics. For example. So IT is a very important sector, right? Mm. And that's the second. The third sector is renewables. You mm. see, they have decided that they're going to diversify away from fossil fuel. Mm. And, and most countries in the world are good doing that anyway. Mm, yeah. Because of you know, environmental issues as well. So they are really into renewables, particularly solar. Mm. And even in Asia, there is more and more interest in renewables. So solar is a big thing, of course, wind power and other opportunities, but solar is a big is, is a big opportunity. There's a tremendous availability of solar uh, energy in the UAE and that mm. those part of the world, also in Southeast Asia. So I think you'll find a lot of opportunities for yeah. solar. And then the equipment manufacturing companies related to solar you know, mm. also have opportunities there. And and I and I I am I'm convinced that we'll see that eventually going. I can see that. Fourth, that's the that's the third sector. The fourth sector is actually manufacturing. Hmm. And why do I say manufacturing? Because the UAE wants to promote manufacturing investment within the country from outside. Okay. We want to increase the contribution of manufacturing to the economy to three hundred billion dollars within six years. Very ambitious, but they are mm. putting in a lot of effort. But they're also giving a lot of incentives, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, yeah. giving a lot of incentives. That's precisely right. And so, what is happening? I think there's opportunity here for ASEAN because ASEAN is an established manufacturing sector. Malaysia, for example, Vietnam, Singapore, Thailand, and Indonesia, for example, are all strong manufacturing hubs. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm. And, and and with the disruption of supply chain because of COVID nineteen, you know what is happening? Interestingly, manufacturing is being diversified to a configuration where there is a trend to set up manufacturing in countries nearer to the market. So, for example, you want to send. Let's say you want to do business in the Middle East. Okay. The, the tendency now is going to be for you to actually manufacture in the Middle East for the Middle Eastern market. Because a lot of the countries after COVID-19 feel they want to reduce dependency on buying from one source. You know, mm. they want to diversify their many their, their purchases of manufactured products, and they also want to encourage people uh, to set up industries in their own region, you know, nearer to the consumer. Mm. And so there I believe Malaysian companies, ASEAN companies, you know, as a whole who are strong in manufacturing, if they have a good product, and that product has a good appeal in, in or market in the GCC countries, should look at manufacturing mm. in the UAE. Mm. But that, that, that would be a hub, not just, uh, of course, for the country itself, but for the whole region. Mm. 
Mm. So that's that's the other sector. And, and then the last sector, which I think is very interesting, is halal food manufacturing and distribution. Mm. I have seen, for example, from Singapore, major halal food manufacturer investing substantially in, in, in UAE, doing mm. halal food manufacturing in the UAE, very successful. And I'm constantly in the UAE Singapore Business Council, we get people who are involved in halal food manufacturing who want to distribute their products mm. in the UAE and the GCC. So I see opportunities there. Halal, yeah. you look, if I can tell you a little bit more about, a bit, again, a little anecdote. What is known as the Islamic economy is very interesting, the global mm -hmm. Islamic economy. It's, it's a big growing thing, mm -hmm. the global Islamic economy. And the biggest pillar in terms of value is banking. Mm -hmm. Malaysia is number one in the world for Islamic banking. Right, number mm, one. Yep. Number two is the UAE. Yeah. Second most important pillar actually is FNB. And UAE is number one. Actually, UAE is number one in all the other pillars, mm. actually, etc. Mm. But FNB is the second most important uh, sector in terms of the, the value of, of the Islamic economy as well. You whole. mean they export? For FNB, the UAE is exporting? Number uh, one in terms of exports? UAE is as a, in terms of production. Production, uh, uh, food and beverage production, mm. and, and sales and consumption. Mm. If you added the contribution to the economy as a whole, it is a substantial amount. Mm. UAE is number one. Malaysia is number two, if I'm not mistaken. Allah, FNB manufacturing. Okay. Malaysia is number two. Close, I, I think. I'm yeah. Sure Definitely UAE is number one. So, but Malaysia is pretty formidable. So is uh, Indonesia and Singapore. Yep. Yep. But Malaysia, I think, is, is very much in this game, uh, in this sector. But I see more ASEAN food and, and, and beverage halal manufacturers looking at either setting up manufacturing facilities in the UAE or distributing their products in the UAE. Yep. So these are, I would say, to answer your question, yeah. the sectors which I think give opportunities yeah. for ASEAN companies. Yeah. I, I agree. But you, you, you said it very eloquently. You, you laid it all out <laughs> very structurally. So can I ask, uh, to add on, in your opinion, Dr. Ryan, why should business owners and leaders in UAE and Singapore, as well as those in ASEAN, participate in the International Business Review ASEAN Awards 2022? Uh, can you repeat the question again? Okay. Uh, so I'm saying, um, so uh, based on all of the above that we had discussed, uh, like a final conclusion, would you, why do you think, in your opinion, should business owners and leaders in UAE and Singapore, as well as those in ASEAN, participate in the International Business Review ASEAN Awards 2022? Okay. Now, your voice seems to have just gone off. Uh, I, can't, I can't hear you, uh, Beatrice. You can't hear me. Oh, oh. Now, you're back. now you're back. Okay. Okay, okay. Back. I think it's my mic. <laughs> okay. All right. Now you're back. Okay. okay. I'm going to repeat that question then. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. I was just asking you, Dr. Brian, why should uh, business owners and leaders in UAE and Singapore, as well as those in ASEAN, participate in the International Business Review ASEAN Awards 2022? Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a very frank answer. Okay. Uh, and, and as a result of my assessment of the opportunities that are, uh, uh, in my view at least, uh, relevant mm. and, and opportunities that you should pursue. You have done a great job. I must congratulate you again, you particularly and your team in establishing the IBR ASEAN Award. Mm. But I noticed, and this is my first time I'm sort of, as you know, being exposed to uh, what you do and uh, yourself and yep. your company. You are certainly very successful in Malaysia. Mm, yeah. Once you look there, you have a number of very successful events. Yeah. I've seen the videos in the YouTube and other things you've sent me, and, and congratulations. Mm. I believe that you therefore need to now build on that foundation. Yes, and, I do. And that foundation we is actually <laughs> the ASEAN market. Yeah. And really, you know, the core ASEAN markets. One. Of course, Malaysia is one, Indonesia, Singapore, you know, Thailand, the, the big market, Vietnam, and 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 where uh, the the private sector really is very very vibrant. Yes, yes. Philippines is, is also substantial. So other countries, 
uh, you know, Cambodia, etc. But let's look at the core. It's always Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia. Okay? That's right. That's right. And 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 very broad based economy, strong manufacturing sector, strong services sector, very strong services sector as well. Of course, yeah. In many of these countries, strong plantation sectors and value-added activity in terms of processing of agricultural produce or plantation. Reasonably priced labor. That's right. So, so I believe that it is imperative that now sort of living to your fulfilling your, your, your philosophy and vision of being ASEAN, you need to therefore spread the message of your IVR ASEAN award very robustly and, and systematically yeah. to all the major ASEAN economies and the business groups, chambers, etc. that operate there. That's my, my point, first point. The second point, uh, Beatrice, in my, in my humble opinion, stick to indigenous ASEAN companies. Mm. Mm. Therefore, forget about UA companies in Singapore, or mm. uh, US companies in Singapore, ASEAN or, mm. or Malaysia, wherever. Uh, any basically any non-ASEAN country who have mm. who have companies operating in ASEAN. Forget about them. Mm. Because that should not really be your focus. Your focus because so much of indigenous companies in ASEAN that have yes. unique products unique markets, mm. expertise and success stories to share. Yes. That is enough to keep you very, 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 yes, very. I agree. We are on the same page, Dr. Brian. So, so, so focus on indigenous ASEAN companies. Yes, yes. When it comes to those companies that are operating in just Middle East or elsewhere and are in DCC, just there, completely, you know, no, take that, take them out of your mind completely. You don't want to have anything to do with them because if they are not in the ASEAN, they're just in the UAE or wherever in the world they are. It's quite irrelevant to you. But what if they're so, big and plead, Dr. Brian? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> you say something? But no, what if they say, please let us come in there and be a part of the platform? How do we uh, say no? No, how, how can they be part of the platform? No, no, Dr. Brian, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't think they want to because you've done a great job in Malaysia. What is the angle? There's no angle. Mm. That is, you are an ASEAN IVR award mm. phenomenon. Mm. They are in the Middle East or they are in Europe or elsewhere. What relevance is there? Why should you waste your time mm. featuring them? Mm. They've got other domestic uh, equivalent of you know, Unless they have like a subsidiary and they are developing it uh, in a very indigenous way within the countries, then it would, would you think that would make sense then? Well, you see, as I said, mm. if you have a company X or Y or Z mm -hmm. from UAE, from Germany, or the US, or from Japan, mm -hmm. and they have something in Malaysia, mm. and, or Indonesia, or Singapore, mm -hmm. Uh, I suppose you could say they're an ASEAN company because they're based there. Yeah. You see, yeah. Your point. However, if you ask me, that's because I'm very ASEAN mm. in my mindset. I like ASEAN to succeed. Yeah. And you know, ASEAN has opportunity to make itself a real major market. Yeah. To be a substantial market. Yeah. And and companies in ASEAN. Mm need to sort of be exposed for their successes. Yeah. Success stories. And that's a huge standard for us. There's a lot of countries in ASEAN. Yeah. So I would rather, unless you are the person in charge of this, I'm not, I'm just an adjudicator in your battle. I have no, I have no sort of, you are the owner and you are the visionary behind this. But in my humble opinion, you have enough in your plate to identify ASEAN companies yeah. Uh, and expose them, give them recognition, and give them appreciation, mm. promote them in, in the sort of the ASEAN sort of context. Uh, you are very good at promoting these companies to your various uh, you know, media stuff that you do. <laughs> Rather than, you know, promoting company X from Japan yeah, or company yeah. Y from America operating mm. in Indonesia, and they yeah, don't right. need help. They don't really need it. They, they're probably you know, a, a subsidiary of a multinational anyway. Yeah, you're right. 
You're right, Dr. Bryant. I, I think we are on the same page. I, I love your point of view there. And you're absolutely right. Sorry for being brutally frank. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. I, I, I believe in that. You know? And I'm glad you brought that out. Because that's what we are about. You know, to, to search for the, the businesses that are growing within ASEAN. And they have this unique ASEAN flavor. It's uniquely Cambodian, uniquely Singaporean. You know, I think that's what you're saying uniquely Malaysian, uniquely Filipino. And we bring them together and we promote them and say, look, these are your aspiring, growing stars of yes. ASEAN. Yes, mm. absolutely. And I'm so glad that you, 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 know, you see my point of view here because, you know, as a banker, sometimes you get to be very critical about these things, you know, because everything has an opportunity cost and your energy <laughs> and your resources are so limited. But I always tell, my, my staff. If I have a brilliant adjudication panel such as you, why would I not listen? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a brilliant idea. And I, it was always there at the back of my mind. And you just eloquently described it, Dr. Brian. I totally agree with you, 100%. We have to create our own superstars within the region. This is why we have this platform. Very good. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I wish you success and i'm sure you will achieve success thank you uh, dr brian success in malaysia let's now extend that hopefully the broader ASEAN yes. so looking at uh, a much stronger collaboration with singapore through you dr brian and i think uh, that's going to be a cinch uh, thank you so much for for the time that you've spent with us for uh, sharing with us your expertise and your experience and uh, i can't wait to start working with you dr brian <laughs> Thank you so much, Beatrice, for giving me this opportunity to participate in this interview. It's always lovely to be interviewed by you. Oh. You have such a charming and graceful <laughs> style of interviewing people. And, and uh, I'm always, you know, as I said, there uh, uh, to support you. And I, and I think uh, what you're doing is great. And I would like to succeed in your ambitions across us. Pleasure is all mine, Dr. Brian. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. So follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and our website to keep up to date with our upcoming shows, Voice of ASEAN. Thanks you all for your time today, ladies and gentlemen, and we will be uploading a recorded version of this dialogue in our portal for those who missed it.